Welcome to the Jim Wits Podcast. I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, a.k.a. Chef Sonic. And I'm Tony Marinucci, a.k.a. Tips with Tony. So um, I'm pretty sore. Right? I've been doing a lot of fairly heavy lifts, um, deadlifts, um, squats, you know, good heavy benches and stuff like that. So I've been going pretty hard. Mm-hmm. No, that was it? That's all you wanted to say? Just, I thought, thought, just thought I'd mention that. Um, <laughs> I, thought, I thought there was a question. Yeah. I've been trying to use this uh, this stick. Oh, the stick. The, oh. the infamous stick. You guys stick. know the stick? Oh, I do foam rolling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I got I to gotta get into that. So I'm definitely going to... I've been using the yeah, stick. How do you use the stick? I guess you could... It's the same. It, yeah, but foam rolling, you, I feel like you can get a lot more different... Yeah, area. it depends on the muscle. Uh, typically, you would want somebody to... Like, you can use the stick... But you'd almost rather have somebody do that, use it on you. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah, no, no. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it, it kind of accomplishes. Um, yeah, it has the same idea basically as foam rolling or, you know, massage. I hate foam rolling. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not. I just put a post about it, and my face is just so excruciating. <laughs> I'm trying to smile yeah. through it, and everyone's like, "That's exactly what my face looks like." I'm okay. Oh, at least I'm not alone. It yeah. Just, this hurts, but it feels good. But it hurts. Yeah, no, it can, it can be rough. <laughs> so. Um, we have a, a really cool interview coming up, and it's so funny. I, I don't know why I thought this, but the very last thing that I asked was uh, just about bodybuilding because our um, the uh, our guest uh, is into uh, phys- uh, physique athletes, and he actually has competed himself. And it was so funny that uh, how how Ryan who has been into working out his whole life is probably so clueless and is knows almost nothing and I know next to nothing about bodybuilding yeah right? we we used to a little bit more but it's yeah. so, isn't it isn't that just funny how you could you could be a fitness pro for well over a decade and know almost nothing about bodybuilding. Well, you, you're drawing a kind of a false parallel that know, bodybuilding know, equals fitness. I mean, granted, you would, you, you, when, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, right? but I think you, you, this would have been true like 10, 15 years ago when we were, you know, God, 20 years ago when we were just yeah, finishing actually, up with just, high school. I figured, it, I figured it out. We have now been working out for 20 years. 20, Maybe a little longer. A little bit longer. Yeah. I just, I just that occurred yeah. to me the other day. So, 20 years ago, fitness when yeah, you were 16. 20 years ago, we would have, um, you know, I think bodybuilding was more closely linked and coupled with, um, with fitness, but now I think you, you don't see it nearly as much. I think there are, you know, it still has its, 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 its niche, but I think you see it much more connected with performance, much more connected with even things like CrossFit and more connected with, you know, even like, phys- you know, when you look at the ideal body you know you think of physique competitors or you know fitness body, even though that's not necessarily the ideal body um you're looking at that you're looking at athletes you see athletes on the cover of a lot of men you know men's fitness and men's health you see celebrities on the cover of that stuff so i think that as a society we maybe moved away from the the aesthetic of the bodybuilder being the ideal i think in two ways they've kind of moved away from each other i think we've become more realistic about what a what a, a you know not a, a you know the ideal body would look but also as you mentioned you know when we talk the um the bodybuilding ideal has gone from you know schwarzenegger which is probably still i think the best physique to you know basically the incredible hulk and and so 
Although in the 70s, uh, Schwarzenegger beat out Lou Ferrigno, who was the Incredible Hulk. Yes, you're right. For, uh, Famously in um, Pumping <laughs> Iron, uh, he just got in his head. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, I guess without further ado, one thing I'll say right off the bat, we were talking about this earlier, um, we, it, a lot of the discussions about reverse dieting, and I, for some reason in my head, I had reverse anorexia. So the whole time we're planning the episode, I'm thinking of reverse dieting, meaning like the, the situation where men just, you know, or men or women who just cat, just want to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And that, and so I had prepared with that in mind and I was completely wrong. Reverse dieting is not that. <laughs> um, and it's actually really, really fun, um, interesting, uh, enlightening conversation. So hold on, hold on, hold on. Be, uh, because it, it, he's Tony's coach, Let's have uh, let's have well let's have our Tony introduce <laughs> our guest for today. Without further ado, <laughs> this is Tony Stefan, registered dietitian, business entrepreneur. Enjoy. Hey everyone, we are here with Tony Stefan. What's going on, Tony? What is going on, friends? How are you guys doing? Very well. So Tony is an entrepreneur and a registered dietitian, and we thank you very much for coming on the gym wits. We have a very interesting discussion for today. But as always, first... Well, I was just going to say not to be confused with Tony Marinucci, the other registered dietitian yes. that is also on the podcast right now. Tony with an Tony's actually, the other Tony. Tony's actually my nutrition coach and my business coach. He's oh, nice. absolutely fab- fabulous. Well, I guess before we get to the first question, it's like, how do you guys know each other? That's how we know each other. Okay. <laughs> yep. He's helped that is how we know each other. Um, both with my physique and also my online counseling business. So he's oh, been an nice. uh, absolute pleasure to, to have to as someone to guide me and lead me. So he's he really has a lot of knowledge. I'm really excited for you guys to hear what he has to say. Awesome. Oh, wow. Well, thank you for that. That truly means a lot. It's true. <laughs> Um, so I guess the first question, so we always, every guest we kind of want to, since we, you know, well, we're a fitness nutrition podcast, we want to know kind of a little bit about your own um, fitness background. So whether, you know, you, you played sports professionally or you, you know, you grew up playing cricket or, you know, you just, you know, work fitness into these or you do nothing. Like what's your own kind of fitness background and, you know, what you did growing up and what you currently do? Totally. Yeah. So for me, you know, it was an interesting thing growing up. Um, I faced some adversity early on in life. So my mother left home at a very young age. Uh, my father and I had some uh, financial adversities and struggles. So for me, um, I was an angry kid. And, you know, my dad had an old like weight set in the basement um, of our home. And he taught me like weightlifting as a tool to uh, let out aggression and just just a positive outlet for, you know, the emotions that I was feeling, the challenges I was facing. So I mean, I fell in love with the process, um, everything from the clack of like the dumbbells, like the old school dumbbells that you screwed on um, to just the, the feeling you had of having control uh, over your body, your health and fitness and being able to create that positive impact. So I, I fell in love with it and I wanted to use that love and that passion to teach others who were also struggling in their life with you know challenges and feeling uncomfortable in their own skin, lacking confidence, whatever it may be. Um, and, and teaching them to use health and fitness as a tool to overcome that. So at the age of 18, I became a personal trainer. Um, I was paid a whopping $6 per session um, to start personal training. But I gained the invaluable experience of working with clients and coaching and just learning the human-to-human connection that comes along with uh, coaching in the health and fitness industry. So 
I did that. Um, at age 23, I became a registered dietitian. So I graduated with a degree in dietetics. My goal was if I was a registered dietitian and a personal trainer, I'd, I was kind of like a dual threat quarterback, right? I could throw and I could run. So um, I always thought that it would help me market myself. And to me, my, my big goal was always to um, own my own business. I always thought I was going to own like a personal training boot camp studio and then do nutrition services and hire trainers. Um, so I started working uh, at a big box gym as a registered dietitian, a trainer. I did really well. I got promoted a couple of times and then I just, you know, I lacked fulfillment there. So I launched and created my own online coaching business. Um, I've been doing that ever since I did that about 26. I'm 28 now. Um, my own health and fitness journey. Um, I, I love to uh, walk the walk and lead from the front by, you know, just practicing overall health. I've competed in a few men's physique shows. Um, I took first place in my last one. So I was very happy with that. I'm semi-retired right now. I make the joke with my wife um, just because dieting, you know, is a little bit different and more challenging now that I'm married because my wife cooks very good Italian food, um, but potentially would do one in the future. But yeah, that's kind of my story in a nutshell there. Hmm. Well, so I have a question because Ryan and I got into uh, weight training when we were around 15 or 16. Did you know at the time when you started that so much research, uh, there's so much research into it, and so much evidence would come out about how good it is for you, and especially as you get older, and the health benefits and the mental health benefits. Because I know when Ryan and I started, we were like, "Oh, we want to get big. We, you know, we want to get muscular." We probably didn't think, "Oh, this was going to be so good for our health," but it turns out, hey, it was. Did you did you know that at the time? No, not at all. I, like I said, for me, uh, weightlifting was kind of like an outlet for you know the emotions and the things I was feeling at the time. And for me, man, I'll be transparent. I just wanted to look like an Abercrombie model. Um, <laughs> that that was it. So I, I didn't really care about the positive health implications. If I just had a six pack of abs and you know w- would look good on a beach, that's all I cared about. So. How often does that happen where you do something for your physical appearance or something cosmetic and it winds up really being good for you? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I think uh, – and that's what's the cool thing too is you know, throughout the 10 years I've coached clients, a lot of times obviously it's the aesthetic changes that they want to see. Um, but what they come out uh, on the end and realize is it changes their mentality on life. Uh, I've had so many clients like make a physical transformation and then go make – a career transformation, like quit a job that they didn't like and go start a business or like find, I, I had a woman one time who's in a, a an emotionally abusive relationship. Um, she used strength training to literally strengthen her mind and leave that abusive relationship and finally like break free from that and, you know, go on to bigger and better things. So those are just two small stories that I, I've had and seen countless others. It starts aesthetically and then it transforms other areas of their life. So so I have an interesting question as a as a dietitian and a kind of a physique competitor. Um, Justin and I both kind of competed in in martial arts that required weight cutting, and you know I'm assuming there's a good deal of weight cutting um, that goes on with with physique competitions too. Um, you know, is is there a way to do it where you're eating healthy on the weight cutting part, or do you just kind of have to accept that yeah, this isn't going to be the healthiest thing in the world, but it's kind of means to an end, and you know, kind of risk reward, and I'm just I, that's just just it's what I got to do to compete. Totally, yeah, I think it's a combination of both, right? So um, if you do it properly, you can mitigate a lot of the negative implications and side effects, no matter what. Uh, when you do a physique competition 
a bikini competition, whatever, you are taking your body to a physiological level of body fat that's not designed to be at. I mean, for men, we're talking competitively, like 5%, 4% body fat for physique. Uh, women, geez, like 14, 15, 16%. So the human body is not designed to be there long term. But as you mentioned, it's a means to an end. It's a, uh, it's a transient thing. You're going to step on stage and then if you work with a good coach, you work with a good professional and you have a plan to uh, you know, work away from that very uh, strong calorie deficit after the, pro- after the uh, event or the plan ends, then it, it's not nearly as bad as it could be. Now, the people who get in trouble are the people who like crash diet. They you know, diet for a very short period of time. They try to lose weight very rapidly. Then after these shows, they just go on these all-out benders and consume a ton of food, you know, uh, consume alcohol, and they don't have a plan to recover their metabolisms. Those are the people that get in trouble. Those are the people who experience rebound adiposity, gain a lot of weight back very quickly, and also the emotional side effects of you were on a stage on Saturday, and then you know two weeks later you're up ten pounds. Um, the, the the emotional implications that come along with it. So yeah, the, to answer your question. Definitely, you do go through some mental stressors. You go through some physiological stressors. Your body definitely does start to fight back a little bit. But if you do it properly, you take your time. I mean, really, a contest prep should be 16 to 20 weeks. And then the recovery phase afterwards, I mean, the rule of thumb is for as long as you diet is as long as you should be recovering as well. So if you go through all that, it's actually a very healthy process because at the end of the day, it's it's a challenge and it's a, an adversity in life that you know strengthens you and helps you grow and become you know better in other areas of life as well so so yeah actually so i guess staying on this for you know another i know we had a different topic we wanted to go into um but which this may kind of overlap slightly as well but i guess what's what are the kind of metabolic changes and effects that are going when you are kind of you know cutting down to a certain level and then trying to build back up so kenny you mentioned if you do it wrong how it can affect you but yeah if you can go a little bit more into like how what are the effects on the metabolism for somebody doing that kind of weight cut and then if you're you know doing it right how how or how doing it right can help you rebound better than doing it wrong totally yeah so the human body is very resilient and adaptive and and like i mentioned earlier the human body is built for survival like the human body is designed to store endless amounts of uh, adipose tissue so when you start to achieve these very esoteric and very uh, low levels of body fat your body starts to fight back in terms of metabolic adaptation. So again, going back to the survival principle, the body hates change. It loves homeostasis. So when you start to get very lean, so for men, you're starting to get 6%, 5%, even 4% body fat, your body will start to resist the change by slowing down its basal metabolism. So basal metabolism is the uh, your metabolism if you were just to breathe all day. So if you were to lay in a bed and breathe all day, the calories expended for all the cellular processes that are going on. That starts to slow a little bit because your body realizes it's it's expending that vital currency. Like your body needs a certain level, level of adipose tissue, of body fat. So when it starts to expend that, it goes, holy smokes, I need to slow things down. I need to prevent this change because – like this, this person, Tony, you know, or whoever, um, is starving in the wilderness. So I need to slow this down. So it's actually a good thing because if you really were starving in the wilderness, you wouldn't want your body to say, Oh, you want to look good on a beach. So let me speed up fat burning. No, your body doesn't care about that. So number one is basal metabolism. 
Uh, number two is things uh, like non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So neat. So like the amount of calories you expend like chewing or talking or thinking, that will start to decrease. Um, there's even uh, proof that your thyroid hormone, so the regulator of your metabolism, the driver of your metabolism, starts to decrease. Definitely you start to notice a decrease in sex hormone production. Um, and that can be tied to a couple different things, but definitely losing some of that vital adipose tissue. So like testosterone production goes down. Um, I know firsthand when I get into the nitty gritty of conscious prep the last few weeks, like my sex drive is plummeted. Um, uh, your energy, you know, your overall cognitive performance, you're on lower calories. So your ability to focus and think and all that. And then, um, uh, definitely those types of things together would be termed like metabolic adaptation. So when you go through a contest prep and then you, you know, step on stage and you walk away from that, like I said, the wrong thing to do would be just, Oh cool. Diet's over. Let me just, you know, I was eating, let's call it 1600 calories per day. Well, I'm going to go binge on 3000 calories per day for the next week or so. You don't want to do that because since your metabolism is so compromised, it has essentially slowed uh, to adapt to the changes that were going on, your body was resisting. If you just started consuming this very high amount of calories, you can gain body fat very, very rapidly. So the proper thing to do is what's called reverse dieting. And reverse dieting is when you slowly and incrementally increase calories, you slowly gain some body fat. So we're talking very lean individuals here. Um, you slowly start to gain some body fat back, which is healthy, like we said, for hormone production, all that good stuff. And you have a plan to slowly increase over time and get those uh, those calorie levels back up, get your, get your energy levels back up, get your sex hormone production back up. And if you do that pro uh, process properly, the research has proven that those uh, negative implications that come with uh, doing a conscious prep, they're transient. They, they are reversed when you do that recovery process properly. So now with reverse dieting, is this something that is also used for people who are, you know, who are the layperson or someone who's overweight? Like, is, is this also something that, that would work with, with um, that, those kind of populations as well? So this is definitely now kind of getting a little bit more uh, anecdotal. There yeah. is definitely, there's definitely research that's proven that when you are on a low calorie diet, like I said, that process occurs to where your metabolism will slow. So what we've seen um, in the real world application is, you know, we get some of these uh, clients who would come in and have done multiple rounds or even multiple years of crash dieting. So losing a ton of weight by going on an 800 and a thousand or a 1200 calorie diet losing a ton of weight and then gaining it back very rapidly because it's not a sustainable approach. So what we've seen is that years and years of doing that can still leave your body with some negative uh, metabolic adaptations there. So like, you know, your metabolism slows, um, your body starts fighting against change. So yes, I have had women, uh, just general, you know, women or even men um, come in who've never done a contest prep, but have taken their body through the stressors of repeated cycles of low calorie dieting, weight gain, low calorie dieting, and usually low calorie dieting in combination of uh, excessive exercise. And that's another metabolic adaptation is um, high cortisol levels, high stress hormone levels, um, who don't have the ability to lose weight, even if they eat a low calorie diet. So they go back on the diet again, that maybe worked for them in the past, like the past year or two ago, they can't lose weight. And they're like scratching their head is like to why like why this worked before I gained weight after but this worked before, why isn't this working? Well, because your metabolism has shifted. So yeah, we have seen positive um, positive results with taking an active person who has caused some uh, impact on their metabolism by low-calorie dieting and gaining the weight back by actually taking them through a reverse, building up their calories, 
helping their body burn fat again and then helping them diet again in the future. Um, again, not as strongly uh, supported in the research, but I think over time we're going to start to see more and more studies come out um, and more and more positivity because we know it from a real world application point. It's just the like conclusive scientific evidence hasn't caught up with it just yet. Well, I just want to note because a lot of the studies that I've read are really done on the people who are like starving themselves or like it, yes. it's not really done on the everyday person. But I could I agree with with Tony and I've seen it myself with my clients as well as like it, it's happening just because their body fat percentage isn't at a certain number. They still are manipulating the metabolism. And, you know, I feel like eventually the science will catch up. So I guess I have an interesting question because we, we all know how kind of the nutrition and fitness industry will take something that maybe it works for one population or maybe there's some, you know, in it, preliminary research that's showing one thing and they'll kind of run with it. So is there a fear that, you know, we, we all know that, you know, extreme diets generally don't work and, and that most people are going to rebound from an extreme diet and you know, maintenance becomes an issue and, and that rebound is a challenge, but that by kind of in Introducing the so the big question is with anyone on an extreme diet is what happens once you reach your goal weight like when you go back to normal you're gonna gain it back so is there a fear that that um, you know people will use extreme dieting I mean not extreme dieting um, a reverse dieting almost as a way to say okay well once you you do this extreme diet then you make this crazy weight and then you'll just use reverse dieting to get yourself back to the normal level so it almost kind of using that as a way to kind of still promote or push the extreme diet, which still will kind of potentially have those negative effects. Oh, I could totally see that as... Uh, yeah, it's a great question. I, I can totally see that as the next diet fad. Be like, oh, we have plant two phase. You know, I don't, even I, I'm seeing some dollar signs yeah, right now. Know, know. <laughs> there you it's go. Like, like, you, you could just see it now. Someone jumping on this and like, see, the problem with diets is that when you cut off of it, we can't do it. So now we have a two phase diet plan. And so they're using this this concept, which could be very helpful to to people that need it, as a as a selling point is trying to sell the same crash diets that people have been trying to sell for years. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That's a very interesting question. Um, you know, I, I can just speak from like the psychology standpoint, you know, to take someone through a reverse diet, uh, it, it takes a lot of, uh, patience. It takes a lot of trusting the process. It takes a certain type of person, um, to wrap their mind around that. It takes someone to kind of admit, that what they've done in the past has not worked for them um, and that the crash dieting ha has really caused them to be in a very uh, challenging situation. So I don't I don't ever see it as being like, oh, I will go on a crash diet. I will diet hard for six weeks and then just enter a reverse diet because I think the messaging is attracting two different types of people. Mm -hmm. uh, the people who are going for the crash diets, you know, with all due respect, they're looking for a shortcut. They're looking for an easy fix. They're looking for the quick way out. Someone who's going to implement a reverse diet has to almost admit that that thinking, that, that linear thought process in the past has got them into trouble and now they need to do away with it and almost create a new mindset and then enter that process. So I don't think so. I don't think so. And also too, like re reverse dieting, it's not like a one size fits all. Mm -hmm. It's not something that it takes you like... Like, Tony, maybe you should explain to them the steps in which, like, what a reverse diet, what would that really look like for someone? Because it's, I think they're thinking of it as, like, a one, a one thing that you do, but it's, it's really not a process. Sure. Yeah, right. correct. So, I mean, it totally depends on the individual and, like, where they're starting. But, like, so, again, let's say, if like, a physique athlete dieted down, did a contest prep, and then they ended up at 1,400 calories per day. So, you would want to slowly and systematically increase calories over time to help them regulate their metabolism. So, I mean, we're talking 
anywhere from like, I mean, at, at first I usually make an aggressive jump. It de- again, depends on the athlete, depends how they feel, depends on their symptoms and all that. But usually make an aggressive jump at first, maybe like 20% of total calories just to get them feeling normal again. But then we're talking about like 15 grams of carbs per week, right? Or maybe every two weeks. So again, it's kind of a drawn out systematic process. Um, and there's no like textbook answer to how slow do you go, how much carbohydrates and fats do you add in. But I found like 15 grams of carbs um, and usually about one to two grams of fat every week or every you know 10 to 14 days works well to where you're, you're not increasing body weight um, at a rate that is unacceptable for the client. So, I mean, we're talking, it totally depends again how long the person's dieted for, but this is like a several month process. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think someone again who is in the mindset of I'm gonna die for six weeks uh, would be able to commit to that type of uh, recovery. Yeah, I think we were just concerned that uh, that people might be sold something like that. That there are certainly unscrupulous companies out there that will jump on any fad in order to sell whatever their product is. Totally. Yeah. I, I like I said. Hey, I, I'm not surprised by anything these days. Um, if I see the reverse diet, uh, you know, six week plan, I'd, I'd be shocked. But <laughs> Nothing surprises me these yeah. days. So, so um, I, I know you started to you t- touch on, I, I guess you would call them the macros yeah. th- that you were. Uh, I was uh, just going to segue into that. So that you would introduce back. So you said that introducing the carbs back uh, slowly, um, fat back. Yep. Are there? Uh, and, and, and once again, granted that it's very individual. Are there? certain foods or maybe even supplements, vitamins, anything that you recommend taking while someone is reverse dieting? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's usually always the carbohydrates and fats because those are the macronutrients that are most stimulatory to the metabolism. And anyone who's very active, you know, and especially someone who did a contest prep, they don't have an issue hitting protein. So you usually just leave protein where it is. As carbs start to really increase, I actually bring protein down a little bit okay. um, because you definitely don't need as much when carbohydrates are in abundance because they're protein sparing nutrients. Um, so certain types of foods, you know, as you start to build up, you really can start to liberalize someone's intake. So, you know, if someone's eating 100 grams of carbs per day, they're probably eating mostly like vegetables and non-starchy carbohydrates because those, those are the most uh, voluminous type foods with the lowest amount of calories. So it's cool to start to liberalize that and start to incorporate uh, whole grains, you know, even things like whole grain breads, maybe some whole grain pasta, potatoes, rice, all those good things, quinoa. Um, As far as supplements go, you know, I'm a pretty standard uh, recommendation guy um, unless my client's uh, symptoms or goals recommend otherwise. Just a multivitamin, a whey protein if someone needs help augmenting their intake, and then a fish oil and a vitamin D if you're in a cold weather climate and don't get sunlight exposure. Besides that, though, I don't really branch too much out of that. Supplements is like the top of the pyramid, right? So you have to dial in your training, your recovery, your sleep, uh, your stress, uh, you know, mitigation, your nutrition, your you know, nutritional quality and quantity. If you dial in all those, then we can talk about supplements. But most people just, and this could be a whole another podcast or topic, <laughs> most people just want to go for supplements first. It's like really, that's just the cherry on top. You got to make your Sunday first, Absolutely. right? No pun intended. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> so I guess because one thing that you do talk about a lot, um, he's very active on Instagram, and I know you talk about macros and not a lot. Um, is there like a standard formula for people that you use for for like recommending for macronutrients 
or is it kind of just like very individualized? I feel like every, totally. I feel like people want me to ask you, but I know the answer. But I'm going to ask you anyway. You, you do, you do know the answer, and it's so funny because when I uh, I used to always get students uh, as a dietitian, um, and they'd always want to know how do you set macros? How do you do it? How do you do it? And it's like for me, I've just done this for so long. It's it's a bit of an art and a bit of a skill. Yeah. So. Um, for me, I'm just good at listening to my clients and being able to break it down from there. So the first thing I always have anyone do is create awareness. I'm a big proponent that awareness precedes change. So no, no matter what, like if someone's listening to this and they just, they just want to get started, just track your intake. Use a MyFitnessPal, go get a food scale, track your intake, create awareness of what you're eating. Just by doing that, the research has proven that you will start to make better food choices when you have to log it. Like if I eat two Krispy Kreme donuts every day and it's just kind of part of my lifestyle, I don't even, I'm not even aware of it, I'm not saying Krispy Kremes are good or bad, but now I have to log it every day and I see, holy smokes, before I even walk out of the door, I consume 60 grams of uh, sugar, you know, no fiber, no protein, it, it creates awareness and then I'm more likely to make a change. So that's step number one. Um, I do use um, a, a pretty good standard for protein for an active individual at a normal body weight. Um, I use 1.2 to 2.0 gram per kilogram. Um, and that's the uh, Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics and the Academy of uh, American College of Sports Medicine recommendation, re- recommendations. Besides that, carbs and fats, it's variable from client to client based on their wants, needs, goals, um, anthropometrics, you know, their body fat percentage, all that. So to give like a one-size-fits-all answer, I can't do because it doesn't exist. What do you What do you think about some of their I, – I don't know them. And to be honest, someone's, people have told me that they use them. I haven't looked into it. I probably should. Uh, there's like – apparently there's apps out there that will help you count your macros. Totally. Um, so like calculate your macros? Yeah. What do you think yeah. about those? You know, I, I, I'm never going to like knock someone's attempt to get started. Yeah, and I'm never going to yeah. uh, like dissuade someone from – trying to do something that can help them. But the problem with those calorie calculators, macro calculators, is they're not assessing you as a dynamic human being. Like a computer is going to assess at most your age, height, weight, body fat percentage, and maybe your activity level. I mean, so much more goes into human metabolism like that. Like what about your last year of metabolic health? Like were you dieting? Were you losing weight? Were you gaining weight? Were your stress levels all jacked up? Like what about that? How's your stress levels today? How's your sleep? How's your energy? What's your training style modality? What do you like? Like, what's your personal preferences? Um, a calorie calculator can't do that. And more times than not, they like, so again, take a woman maybe who's been yo-yo dieting for the last five years. She's eating 1200 calories per day, not losing weight. And this, and she was working out six days per week. And this calorie calculator shoots at her 2400 calories, just based on her age, height and weight. Well, if she goes out and does that, first off, she's going to be scared shitless to do that. Sorry, can, can I swear on this? No. Okay. Don't like it, but yeah. Yeah. whatever. <laughs> right, that, that was the, the one and only. All right, glad I asked. Um, Look, it was a medical it, term. It was a medical term. It was a medical term. <laughs> That's absolutely correct. Um, but so she's going to be scared out of her mind to consume that. And let's say if she's brave enough just to take that advice, you know, wrongfully so, she's going to gain a ton of body fat because it's just not customized. So, you know, in today's world, it's your health. It's your metabolism. Your metabolism is literally billions and billions of chemical reactions daily. A nutrition calculator that some computer programmer designed and put on a website cannot accurately assess and create a nutrition protocol for you. You need to work with a registered dietitian or a very qualified coach to do so. And then, okay, last question, just because I know our listeners want to know, and I 
feel like we talk about this a lot. Um, is does calories in, calories out matter more than your macronutrient distribution? Like, how do you feel about that? Oh, that's a great question. So, you know, there's so much, uh, like talk about quality versus quantity. And I mean, look, it's basic laws of thermodynamics and metabolism that yes, in order to lose weight, build muscle, gain weight, it comes down to the first step is calories in calories out. Like if you are eating super healthy foods, but you're eating 5,000 calories per day and you're, you know, you're, you need to be expending whatever, you know, 2,500 to lose weight. Well, that's not going to happen. I don't care how healthy they are. I don't care if they're paleo or keto approved. Doesn't matter. If you eat too many overall calories, you won't achieve your goals for if it's fat loss. Now, uh, like if that's one, if that's step one, then like one A is nutritional quality and macronutrient distribution. So just because you're eating in a calorie deficit, if you're eating all sugar all day and not getting any fiber, not getting any protein, yeah, you'll lose weight, but you won't feel good. Your um, blood chemistry will not be aligned with your goals. Your energy won't be good. It's like the Twinkie study. I forget where this guy was from, but he was a nutrition professor who just wanted to prove a point that he could eat like Ho-Ho's and Hostess like donuts and Twinkies all day and lose weight um, by being in a calorie deficit, which he did. But of course, he wasn't feeling good. I, I'm pretty sure he had some like negative implications on his um, uh, blood chemistry. So yes, number one is calories in versus calories out. But then closely behind is macronutrient distribution, protein, fiber, and then nutrient quality as well. If because I've, I've never had a client say to me, hey, Tony, I just want to look great. I don't care how I feel. Like I just want to look good. Like no, everyone wants to look good and feel great as well. So that's how you do it. So I have a question about uh, exercise during reverse dieting. So I know, of course, that's going to depend on the goal of the client. But are there some ideas that you might recommend, for instance, for a physique athlete, if they've been focusing on a certain type of weightlifting that maybe shift to cardio while they're adding more calories? Or maybe it's a time to now ramp up the either heavier weights if they want to gain mass is there what do you like what would you recommend or what would you recommend for certain situations that clients may wish for yeah absolutely so for most people when they're coming into like a reverse diet it's they were doing a lower calorie diet before um and they're usually doing an excessive amount of you know training and and namely cardio like when you think of fat loss people do cardio to lose weight right um and they neglect the weight training so for more more instances than not we're trying to create a positive energy balance. So we're trying to get them to consume more food and slowly work out of a calorie deficit. So usually, actually, I decrease cardio. I mean, we always want to promote strength training because strength training has so many benefits, um, you know, bone density in women, you know, um, lean muscle tissue, all that good stuff. So in the initial phase of a, of a reverse diet, we actually start to slowly pull back on cardio and slowly increase nutrition. Now, if you have someone who's been in it for a while, they're in a very good positive fed state, then yeah, definitely you can uh, increase. What they notice is the athletes, and I see this with CrossFit athletes, physique athletes, doesn't matter. They start to set PRs in the gym. They start to get stronger. They can add in another training session because they're feeling so good. They need less off days. So yes, that's the positive implications down the line. But initially out, you want to slowly slowly, um, work back cardio and slowly increase nutrition. Hmm. So... Um, right before, uh, well, either during the the reverse diet phase or right before it, are there risks of certain injuries? We know that if you're at a caloric deficit, um, it's, uh, 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 we, 
you know, Ryan and I have seen this with um, with the athletes in the UFC when they've cut significant amount of weight. They they're susceptible to injuries, uh, whether it's breaking bones or or anything along those lines. Have you noticed certain? Um, now that's that's extreme, and and only a, a, a fraction of the percentage of the population will ever go through that. But have you seen injuries that people might be susceptible to, to um, while they're in a, a serious cut phase, or maybe even while they're starting to bring uh, the calories back up? Maybe they they're getting more energy, so they're thinking, "All right, well now I can go from nothing to doing." Um, very heavy deadlifts, you know, clean and press, all these uh, these complicated lifts um, coming from nothing, and maybe that could cause an injury. Have you seen anything of that nature? Um, not so much, like, in the reverse phase, but definitely in a calorie deficit. I mean, it's kind of like I mentioned earlier. One of the biggest things that happens is your cortisol levels start to, you know, come up, and cortisol is that acute stress hormone, and usually that comes along with it is – uh, inflammation. So when you're in that heightened stressed out state, you're definitely more susceptible to injury in the gym. You're more susceptible to um, like decreased recovery. So again, negative impl- implications with that. Um, you're more susceptible to illness because your immune system is weakened. So absolutely, there are those uh, kind of health implications that come from being, uh, especially in a calorie deficit at a very low body fat percentage. Um, so definitely those are things you have to be aware of. Like when you're in those last phases of, you know, contest prep, I'm um, going back to that and you're at the low levels of body fat, like you're not setting PRs in the gym. You are not, you know, having the best lifts of your life. Like, I mean, even when I was a few weeks out of my last one, trying to get a pump in the gym is very hard to do. Um, you're, like I said, your body at this point is just completely fighting back. So there are those things and that's how you just have to know how to train smart. You have to have good guidance, a good coach to, um, know how to make it as safe as possible during that time. So, in a way, the reverse dieting actually can help mitigate against injury. Well, yeah, because after time, especially again going back to someone who's at a very like low esoteric level of body fat, by adding some body fat back to your frame to get to you a healthy physiological level, yeah, you start to reverse all those negative things. The hormones start to bounce back up, start to feel like yourself again. Hmm. Um, your recovery comes back all up, your immune health, all those things. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. What would you say to the person who just like does competition after competition after competition? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I think there's some merit to it. Like if you're in a really good spot, I mean, I know several people who have done show after show and they're trying to get at the national level, all that good stuff. Um, but no matter what, you need to have a phase of recovery period. So like if you spend six months out of the year, you know, doing a contest prep, even if we look at every year and you're only allowing six months for improvement, that's not a lot of time for a natural athlete. I can only speak of for natural athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not a lot of time for you know recovery and improvement for a natural athlete. So yeah, when you're in a calorie deficit, you're not building muscle. So if your goal is to get better, get stronger, build more muscle, well, you need to spend a significant amount of time in a um, you know in a positively fed state to where you can make those types of improvements. So yeah, it just all depends on your goals at that time. So, so, Tony, um, not all of our uh, listeners are are complete are native English speakers, and so they might be confused by the term "natural." Can you sort of explain what that is? Hmm? Oh, sure. Yeah. So, to hmm. me, just natural athlete means they do not use any type of uh, exogenous hormones. So, like any type of steroids or, or, or anything that is, um, I guess you know, not like beyond supplementation. So, like hormones, steroids, things like that. So, um, uh, one question, uh, 
because we, we talked about the phase of, of reverse dieting and how important that is. Is there an end to that phase? Do you look at someone and say, okay, now we're going to sort of put you on a, a, uh, your sort of quote-unquote normal or maintenance, dot, or maintenance yeah. phase? Like when does that come in? And I guess that would be based on the goals of the client, correct? Yeah, it's always based on the goals of the client. But absolutely, your goal is to get them to a sustainable point. Um, so if you get them to a point to where they're eating a comfortable level of nutrition, um, they're feeling good with their aesthetics, um, they're feeling good with their results and their performance is great in the gym. And then at that time they can either, you know, diet again if they want to lose more body fat or just sustain it. Like that's always my goal for a client is now if we're shifting to general population, take someone down, you know, help them lose weight by a calorie deficit, get them to a point to where they're comfortable with their body fat percentage or aesthetic changes, slowly build those calories back up to a healthy maintenance and then boom, they're good to go. Because right. no matter what, like if Mrs. Jones, my client, um, if we had to take her down to 1,400 calories and she lost the 15 pounds she wanted to lose, I mean, it's going to be very hard to maintain 1,500 calories for the rest of her, uh, for her life, you know, holiday parties, travel, you know, girls' night out. But how much easier would it be to maintain her new level of body fat, her new aesthetic appearance at 2,100 calories? Well, of course, right? That's so much better internally um, for her to be in. So that's always the goal to get them to a healthy level of maintenance and then let, let them go fly on their own. Yeah, that's a good point. I wanted to point, like, mention. I feel like we didn't talk about the, the point of reverse dieting is to get their calories up, yeah, but to yeah. keep them at the body fat that they want. Mm. Although we don't want to keep a competitor at like five yeah. percent. Yeah, right. Healthy. So right. I, I know you said that the um, the uh, research isn't as extensive for kind of general populations, um, but I guess this got me thinking. You know, with with athletes, uh, you deal with like periodization, where you kind of set up a training pro, you structure a training program in phases. You know, you're, you're geared towards a certain kind of training outcome, but you're kind of const, you're kind of going back. Or you're kind of going back in a circle in your phases to kind of, you know, year to year, month to month, um, yep. really increase the results and, and, and production of the athlete. Um, is that is 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 that almost like an idea you can use with the with the client um, for reverse dieting? So maybe let's say you want to, let's say you have somebody who has a really huge number and you want to get them down to let's say they're eating four thousand calories a day and you want to get them down to two thousand. That you almost do a structure where you you know you bring them down, bring them up, then bring them down a little bit more, then bring them back up a little bit, and it almost in in the like a you know roller coaster you know da- trending downwards to get them there so that you go almost in in multiple phases of re- you know dieting and reverse dieting or is that not something that that would be advisable at this point no you're absolutely correct with that and that was a great uh parallel that you drew from like periodization of training um and, and it's very similar so like i work with a good deal of like crossfit athletes so when they are in their like off season, that's when they'll go like when they're not training for the games or training for the open, which is very, you know, demanding on their bodies. They need their nutrition at a high level. That's when they can, you know, go attack their aesthetic goals. So we might take them, you know, I might take a female CrossFit athlete from, let's say, 3000 calories per day, you know, slowly diet her down. So they take down that um, her caloric total, get her in a calorie deficit, help her lose some body fat, you know, help her achieve an aesthetic goal. And then, okay, uh, four months out from um, in-season, which is like the CrossFit Open and all that good stuff, start building up those calories back up so she can maintain that new level of aesthetics but now also have the positive implications on her performance by having, you know, higher carbs, you know, more fat, um, overall more calories. So, yeah, absolutely. It's always – I would say your nutrition program should reflect your training outcomes and your training goals. So, absolutely, there are phases to it. Going off that. Um, and I, I know we don't we 
we don't advocate for people to not exercise, but say the everyday average person wanted to do like a cut and a reverse diet and they're not exercising, like, is there any benefit to that? It makes it much more difficult because no matter what, um, I'm recommending kids in the gym, you know, get 10,000 steps per day, at least that. So when, when you just live a sedentary lifestyle, all this becomes much more difficult. So, I mean, yeah, I would say in theory that if someone just like was completely sedentary and, you know, lost weight, then yeah, I think you could still reverse diet. But I think there's just so much proven benefit that we know, um, like it's clear um, to strain training and just general activity that like it, it can only help. So I'm always advocating that my clients, no matter what, um, they get active. So I, I was just showing Ryan a picture of uh, Phil Heath who has had a lot of recent success in uh, in bodybuilding. What, just uh, sort of a little off topic. What, what do you think of, and there's certainly ain't none of them, you know, competing in Mr. Olympia natural by any means. Like, what do you think about the modern day bodybuilders that are, that it's so focused on size as compared to, say, bodybuilders from uh, the 1970s or 80s that had a different sort of aesthetic, they were going for different aesthetic quality and not just being these sure. enormous creatures. Yeah, you know, even though I, I've competed, um, I'm not too like into the current, uh, you know, bodybuilding realm. But I, yeah, I can completely agree. Like, you know, obviously every kid growing up, you look at Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, you know, those type, like Frank Zane. So it's definitely shifted, and it's shifted more from, like you said, that beach body, that healthy, you know, like strong physique look to just like, you know, something that you know is uh, is unnatural. Um, so I, that's why I've kind of always stuck into the men's physique realm, which is more about like a, a healthy beach body look, um, versus the holy smokes, like this is like a, a freak of nature coming at me look. Um, but I'm not knocking it either way. I respect what any, whatever anyone wants to do, um, and whatever they enjoy. So it's, it's all about personal preference, man. It's whatever look you feel most fulfilled going after. That's what you should do. Do you have anything awesome. that you want to add, Tony? Yeah, where can we? Um, where uh, what do you like? Social media, website. Like, what's the best way for people to find you and get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. So, um, first thing, I just like to say thank you guys so much for having me on, and oh, you know, um, I love the platform that you guys have, and just am very appreciative for you to let me add value to your users and your listeners. Um, but yeah, if anyone ever wants to connect with me, um, I'm on Instagram at Tony Stefan, Tony uh, underscore Stefan. Um, same thing on Facebook, Tony Stefan, Tony Stefan Dietitian. And then my website is TonyStuffinDietitian.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah, well, this is a great yeah, great chat. And, uh, you know, love, love to have you back on anytime. You, if any subject, I'd be more than happy to have you back on. Awesome. I truly appreciate that. All right. Thanks, Tony. Thank you. So I've decided to go on a reverse diet. <laughs> Justin. Yeah. Okay. What's your reverse diet? Yeah, what's your reverse diet? We're playing into it. What's your reverse <laughs> diet, Justin? No, actually, I haven't thought about that. I just know I want to go on a reverse diet. <laughs> you need a coach. You okay, don't okay. just go on a reverse diet. Right, they... right. <laughs> I, I, actually, I also had a misconception of what reverse dieting was. First off, I never heard of the term until today. Uh, <laughs> Second, secondly, Until I asked you guys like a month ago, could yeah. my coach come on and oh, talk yeah, about reverse dieting? I did hear about it that time. I, I, my excuse is I was on a cruise with with people bombarding me while I was trying to get food, and I could I I, I lost. You were, now my you were tax. on reverse diet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was the order three entrees and and eight appetizer 
kind of diet. So, the yeah, uncontrolled, a.k.a. Yeah. not a reverse yeah. diet. <laughs> the compulsive eating diet where, like, you, you know, like, the first day I ate so much that I... I was not I was full the rest of the time but I wouldn't skip a meal because it was like I can't skip lunch it was like I was completely full I didn't need lunch it was like but I can't I can't skip lunch I have to refer to your cruise yeah you've talked about yeah we talked about another episode I don't know when it's gonna get released because I don't know when any of this stuff gets released I just do it randomly I'm like I some you know we've been recording it's 420 we've been recording since 12 yeah this is like our eighth episode in a row so um, we're a little delirious. We've got one more left, so you know, you're just gonna get what you get. Um, but but yeah. It's actually a really cool discussion now. Yeah, no, what, no, no, we, we we kept it together for that, but I think we're we're losing it. So before we lose it even further, uh, and and so we can keep our energy for the next um uh, the next episode we have to record have in two more episodes ten minutes to record. Oh, aye, crap. Aye, aye. Right, okay, yeah. We got two more episodes. Um so in order to to give you the best gym wits well, we well, can. Why are we recording so many episodes? Because I'm going away. Who yeah. You, where are you going? Tell us. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan. Come on, you can say. I'm gonna be gone. I'll be. I'll be traveling for a, f- a few weeks with. Um. If I. I forget if I, I don't even remember if I mentioned it or, or or not. But with a fairly well known um artist. Uh. So I'll be. Can you name traveling artist? with the true. You said you were able to tell. I guess yeah, I was feel no, weird no, about it. People have to listen to the next episode. Oh, you're already going to be on tour. You might even be back by the uh, time. Yeah, I might. Yeah, honestly, I might be back by the time this goes out. Who knows? Uh, yeah, you'll just have to listen, figure it out, or, or you uh, can make some guesses. I'll t- uh, um, the f- uh, 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 it starts in Atlanta. That's your guess. Um, on in some point in September. <laughs> There's your guess. If I haven't mentioned it at some point in an episode, you'll be training someone. Correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Traveling, training somebody, um, uh, and somebody who I've actually very much admired. So, so very cool. It'd be very this cool. This is fun, uh, actually. Send us your guesses. Yeah, send us your guesses. <laughs> so that means we have to release this episode soon. No, uh, we maybe you can't we'll send see. the uh, the guesses oh. after you've already been back. Fair enough. True. I guess. All right, fine. So anyway, <laughs> well, I give a massive hint. Like it, 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 anybody should get this, but um, I am not anybody. But right, we'll just leave it at that. Anyway, uh, what was check. The hint? I, to, I I gave the hint. I'm not started gonna give it again. in Atlanta, and it's, it's the one you Yeah, it's it's a massive hint. Um, gotcha, almost anybody. I, would I get it. I get yeah. it. Um, all right. Uh, I'm Ryan George. I'm Justin Guild, aka Chef Sonic, reminding you that truth does not sell. And I'm Tony Marinucci, aka Tipsy Tony, a registered dietitian, helping you get healthy one bite at a time. And we are the Gym, the gym Lights. Lights.